So, in light of some recent news, uh, we have decided to add a tribute to uh, Spider-Man and Doctor Strange co-creator Steve Ditko to this episode of Ace Comicals. The man who helped kind of shape, had a guiding hand in shaping the Marvel Universe alongside people like Jack Kirby and Stan Lee in, in, the, very, in the beginnings of this sort of thing, 1960s, and uh, has also contributed quite a few characters to the DC Universe. I'm really bad at these things. I never know really what to say when something like this happens. Someone who's been such a a presence and has had a huge influence on something that's been like a hot, uh, like quite a large chunk of my life for such a long time, like as long as I can remember. Like Marvel comics ha- and comics have just been there, kind of thing. Like what I've mentioned before, when I was a kid and I had friends that had like comics collections, I'd read their comics, and then I've been interested. I've you know always been interested in superheroes and stuff myself through cartoons through everything else uh all other way other ways of experiencing these this mythology these stories that this man has in some part had a guiding hand in molding the clay i guess um particularly spider-man i guess for a lot of people um spider-man uh, not a, one of the most popular Marvel characters ever created, I'm pretty sure. And pants down, yeah, yeah, pan, <laughs> yeah pants down, most popular Marvel cre- character created, and also um, quite important to a lot of people because of who Spider-Man was as a character and the way Spider-Man was portrayed and everything else. As as this young teenage boy, I guess gave a lot of people something to cling on to through various iterations of the character. And that's all down to Steve Ditko because he created that. He was like the, uh, well, he helped. He he was co-creator. He was like the sort of like co-father of Spider-Man, I guess. It's a good way to put it. And it's his his creation that has sort of like filtered down and fed down through time that has such a, a wide-reaching, how, how do I put this into words? Well, yeah, it, uh, it's like you're saying before. It's like his his legacy um, is felt throughout uh, throughout comics. Um, yeah, it, just in the fact of not even talking about the, the breadth of the characters that he uh, contributed to or created, but just the fact that uh, he went on to influence a lot of other people um, coming after him, and he was um, the I think he he laid down the blueprints for a lot of characters, and yeah. he was very. Um, I think he, like when we think of say like Marvel, and they had like the Marvel method, and yeah. like for instance, an editor like Stanley would write a couple sentences, and then the artist would interpret um, those sentences into a full like twenty-five page comic, uh, like a full strip. It was that whole thing. The, the Marvel method is basically the the artist telling the story, and the writer pretty much acting like an editor. So, yeah, like I, I think he, in a way, is the poster child of that. Um, and to level where I think it was after twenty five issues of Spider Man, he started to get um, a he petitioned to get a story by credit as well. 
because mm. he, he was that instrumental in coming up with the the stories and the arcs. That that's that that writer artist collaboration, like the writer artist team thing, which is known as the Marvel method, I guess. And him and Stan Lee were like that that those two working together on the early issues of Spider Man and things like that was like the the beginning of the Marvel method. So those two were the first two, and that was like the first kind of the beginnings of that and, and he sort of helped the easiest way for me to explain this is if stanley and jack kirby terraformed planet comics then steve ditko helped populate it <laughs> yeah that's a pretty good way yeah um and for that i will be forever thankful um for his influence in his work and for character for the characters he created especially spider-man um, as I was mentioning before, Spider-Man, for me, was quite important when I was a teenager. I read a lot of Spider-Man books. Ultimate Spider-Man was the thing that was going when I started to pick it up and read it a lot. And that kind of sort of gave me some, gave me somewhere to go, somewhere to run off to kind of thing, is, is what Marvel Comics and, and comics did for me at that point. Yeah. And, you know, it was it's good to have that. It was nice to have that. And it was nice to have, you know, it, nice to have Spider-Man as something that I could escape to. And I mean, there were there were points where I probably wanted to be Peter Parker, uh, <laughs> like because it just felt like I would be escaping the fact that like I probably didn't like myself very much when I was a teenager. And I would be like trying to get away from that by reading by reading comics and by escaping into all these fantasies and all these fantasy worlds, uh, video games, comics, I surrounded myself by this stuff. I just didn't want any part of the real world for a long, long time. And I think I, Spider-Man was important because it kind of gave me like a, gave me a path and sort of helped me, help me deal with stuff. Yeah, I can see that. I think that um, Spider-Man is, probably the uh like the archetype uh like the 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 like patron saint of that because he is like the uh anxious uh high school teen um just dealing with homework and his uh his aunt like family and mm. the different responsibilities and having this thing that you can't tell anybody about and just trying to get it all done so he's He's he feels like super grounded and like one of the the magical things about Marvel um, and I'd say especially with Spider Man is that uh, we could all I think even just down to what a design choice that was Ditko's idea which is his whole face is covered with the mask like any of us can imagine ourselves being Spider Man like yeah. it could be us under the mask in our town in our city web slinging around friendly neighborhood spider-man like that's what i think was so great so like spider-man got bullied um spider-man got uh, got picked on uh he didn't he was like he, he wasn't the most popular kid in school and i think that that helped helps him resonate with uh teens 20 somethings and anyone really who's been disaffected is that like the basic power fantasy as if what if this outsider, what if this like loser nerd um, had this secret, uh, this power and they could go around being a hero 
And I, yeah. I think that's um, very compelling. And you can see how it, it's that, that feeling is, is endured for decades and decades and decades and generations after generation. Yeah, that, that's what resonated with me. And that's one of the, one of the things that I wanted to bring up and, and why I wanted to be thankful for Steve Ditko having given that to the world and, you know, given people who are, you know, who do, who have to deal with stuff like that, who are um, like struggling, I guess, through their, through their teenage years, or whatever, gives them something to cling on to. It gives them like a lifeboat or a raft or a piece of driftwood, you know? that's 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 the way i can put it like spider-man was my bit of driftwood yeah definitely <laughs> with all with all the stuff that was going on at that time in my life <laughs> spider-man was my bit of driftwood and i'll be forever thankful for that and i'll be forever thankful for steve ditko and his influence and the things that he has done for comics uh, uh, you know everyone else that was influenced by him everything that has come out of his initial work the tree that has grown from the seed that he he planted um, up to Ultimate Spider-Man, which was the branch, the particular branch that I was sat on as a teenager. I'm sure there were teenagers before me sat on other branches, you know, and things like that. And there'll be teenagers after me sat on other branches. You've got Miles Morales Spider-Man. You've got the Spider-Man that's... Um, Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man that's being currently published now. Um, all these different facets and branches of Spider-Man that give something to everyone. And it all came from that guy as, you know, he, he, he helped put that into, into motion. And, and he also helped, um, shape the universe in other ways. He, he was the man behind Dr. Strange, uh, for DC comics. He, um, he was the guy behind the atom, the question, the blue beetle, um, uh, captain atom, sorry, not the atom. And that's the thing. It's like, yeah. Uh, no, uh, well, because he created like uh, Mr. A and like no Mr. A, no the question, no Rorschach, and like yeah, in, uh, in Watchmen, like he, he, uh, like his influence spread so far with like Doctor Strange, as you mentioned, like the uh, like I think people were suspecting people like him and Kirby were like on acid or something with mm. like. They were really, because uh, with Doctor Strange, he was really like ahead of the curve, jumping on like the sort of yeah. obsession the West would have with like Eastern uh, mysticism and like um, those who are really good in diving in with like the really psychedelic aspect of, yeah, it was, uh, it of, was, of Marvel. Yeah, it was like clean psychedelics. It was like being able to get psychedelic without having to abuse substances. <laughs> That's the best way to describe Doctor Strange. Um, and that is, yeah the way he 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 did that and the way he put that into into play and the way he wrote the character and well the way he created the character the way the character was the way he designed the character and everything else it's just really um yeah it was really something back then and it's still really something now and there's there's nothing quite like doctor strange there's nothing quite like you know some of these characters that he came up with and they've been such a huge part of the Marvel universe and they will continue to be. I think my, my point of view on um, passing of celebrities that, you know, we, that we've experienced a lot of in the last few years is that it gives you a chance to reassess um, or like rediscover in retrospect, how far their influence spread. 
and listening to you guys like i don't i didn't know or I, I don't have an understanding of who Steve Ditko was in in how influential he was to comic books. I knew his name tangentially. I knew his name just from the general conversations. But, you know, um, looking back on it, we don't know St- Steve Ditko as a household name the same way that we do Stan Lee, for example. And one of the positive things I try to take away from news like this is that I'm looking forward to the conversations that happen now um, about who he was and how far his influence spread. And I'm really looking forward to discovering the things that affected me over the, you know, over the course of my readings over the last few decades of being into comic books and seeing exactly what he did touch that I might not be aware of right now. So that's yeah. my, that's my positive spin on, on this. That was Steve Ditko. Um, and we're all very sad at his passing and yeah, he, he did a lot of great things for comics and uh, his influence will continue to be felt and will live on. His legacy will live on. Yeah, and I uh, just wanted to uh, bring up a, a tweet that came up uh, not long after uh, his passing went public and it's done by the writer-artist uh, Michaela Joffe uh, at uh, Joffe Arama. And it was part of a longer thread, which is a good thread that I'd recommend checking out. Um, but... Uh, the, the tweet in particular she put was, um, Steve Ditko was many things, but I always remember him for his angry weirdness. It's telling that his three most lasting creations are the quintessential angry teen Peter Parker, the chaotic and unknowable Doctor Strange, and the bizarre but undefeatably earnest Squirrel Girl. Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! Hi, welcome to the show. This is episode 39. So, as usual, we have a few picks from the previous two weeks to chat about today, and I am joined by the full cast. I have Leon Amray today. Yeah, guys. So, what have you guys been up to? <laughs> it's been a while since we spoke to Leon. Yeah, it's been a while since we've all been in the same virtual room together. Um, what have I been up to? <laughs> like, there's been a lot of life stuff, which I don't want to drag into the into the podcast because it's all really boring. Um, aside from that, we had me and Leon both had a, a cab day in the last weekend where we got to ride at the front of a, a TFL train. That was really cool. Uh, been to the cinema, saw Ocean's Eight, which I thought was interesting. Um, so all that comes to mind right now. How about you guys? I've just been trying to deal with the heat and <laughs> doing a lot of reading. <laughs> so it's the usual for me. Yeah, uh, trying trying to deal with this like ridiculously hot weather we're having right now. Um, like freezing bottles of water and then going to bed cradling them and things like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is what happened last night. I froze a bottle of water and I sort of like brought a bottle of water to bed and there's me and Sophie just hugging a bottle of water, frozen water, just, trying to cool down. in between you. <laughs> yeah, in the bed. <laughs> um, what else have I been doing? Yeah, so I've been, I've been obviously reading a lot of comics and there's been some big ones that have been out over the past couple of weeks. We've had uh, Batman issue 50, which was the wedding. And I was going to say that I was going to gush a little bit about this when it happened, because as you all know, I'm a big Batman fan. <laughs> um, so yeah, the wedding, it, it was equal parts, wonderful and poignant and heartbreaking. It, it sort of like pans out as um, I'm going to try not to spoil it because New York times did that. And I'm, I'm not New York times. 
and you guys should probably read this so what i'm going to do is i'm going to try and give my opinions without ruining it too much because i know this is like a big thing for a lot of people so i don't want to be spoiling it and things so just um, before you start it's a thing that having not read batman 1 to 49 uh, or the prelude stuff you can just jump into 50 yeah if you know if you have a general idea of what's happened if you know happening sorry if you know that batman and catwoman are going to get married or have been planning to get married then you'll be able to buy Batman 50 and treat it as a celebration of the two characters, which is what it kind of is. But yeah, it's it's like an exploration and an explanation of the relationship of Batman and Catwoman and how that's kind of played out and how they need each other and most importantly, how they could be each other's undoing, I guess is a good way to put it. Uh, is Catwoman a hero? Can Batman be happy? Does Batman need misery to function? Does he feed off it? This is like all the questions that get asked. It's an all-star cast of artists, like everyone who's... A lot of people that have worked on Batman for a lot of teams that have worked on Batman, they all seem to get like a single page each. Oh, cool. And the, um, the comic kind of an- tries to answer some of those questions that I've just asked, I guess. And it plays out in such a way that I mean, it just, it, it left me like, I was like, oh, you're like emotionally exhausted. By the end of it, basically, I was just like, oh man, that's like, had me welling up and everything. It was great. So um, it lived up to your expectations. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Like Tom King knows what he's doing with this, with his writing and the artwork in it. And it's such a, such a massive cast. I'll read them all out in a minute, but the artwork in it is, is spectacular, like on every page and all these different teams really pull out all the stops to kind of give us a a facet of these two characters. Kind of like staring at a diamond and turning it around sort of thing. You know, like different facets of these two characters and different facets of how they've interacted over the years and the ways in which we've come to know them as um, readers of Batman comics or fans of Batman and Catwoman. And yeah, it's just it's just great. It's just a wild ride. It's been a wild ride in the lead up to it, and I've been looking forward to it. And it's just been a great sort of like, I don't want to use the word exploration again, but a great kind of dig into who these guys are and and what they do, which is I think is what Tom King kind of does a lot. You know, like with his Mister Miracle run, he's not just writing a Mr. Miracle story. He's getting under the skin of Mister Miracle, and he's like laying it all out there for you. Like this is what Mr. Miracle is and yes mm. yes he is an escape artist his whole thing is is he can escape from anything but like the things that he's escaping from in the current Mr. Miracle run aren't necessarily the death traps that you would expect you know it's it's like he's escaping from tangential things situations and it gives you an idea of what kind of person he is and the character he is and the things that he has to struggle with and the trauma of being raised on apocalypse uh, but it's it's a great it's a it's a great crescendo to what has been an awesome build-up for the batman series yeah in the lead-up we've had booster gold trying to show batman that his life is a worthwhile one with a sort of unwanted slash i don't know wedding gift uh yeah his idea of a wedding gift was to bring batman's parents back to life or save them and like show batman an alternate future where everything went wrong because his parents lived is the quickest way to put that, and that was also a callback to callback to a, a Superman annual, where Superman is given a birthday gift of this like parasitic plant thing that shows him what would happen if Krypton didn't explode. 
And then we've also had the Joker in all his twisted mania, trying to prove that Batman needs darkness and misery, trying to give him best man advice in the best man storyline in the lead up, trying to prove that Batman needs, you know, he has to be miserable to be Batman and that the world, and that Gotham needs Batman to be miserable because Gotham needs Batman. And obviously the Joker can't imagine a life without having Batman because that's the, that's the Joker's whole shtick, isn't it? That he feeds off Batman and he needs Batman to exist because he kind of almost, en- he, he enjoys the chase and he enjoys the, the whole sort of like theatre of it. And when it boils down to it, he, it, as as crazy and maniacal and homicidal as he is, he loves Batman as well, so. Mm, yeah. But it's um it, it's been great. It's, yeah. I've I've enjoyed every moment of it. One to pick up and one to check out. Um, I don't think you really need to have read everything leading up to it to buy this issue and enjoy it as a celebration of these two characters, but it would help if you had like a background of it and maybe maybe pick those comics up anyway because they're great comics. So I'm going to read off this enormous list right now of people that worked on this book. So take a deep breath. We've got Tom King, Mikkel Janin, June Chung, Clayton Cowles, Jim Lee, Scott Williams, Alex Sinclair, Arthur Adams, Alejandro Sanchez, um, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, Trish Mulvihill, Becky Cloonan, Jason Fabok, Brad Anderson, Frank Miller, Alex Sinclair, Lee Bermeo, Neil Adams uh, and Hi-Fi, Tony S. Daniel and Tommy Umore, Amanda Connor, Paul Mounts, uh, Rafael Albuquerque, Andy Kubert, Alex Sinclair, Tim Sale, Jose Villarubia, Paul Pope, Mitch Gerrards, Clay Mann, Geordie Belair, Ty Templeton, Kieran Smith, Joel Jones, David Finch, Greg Capullo, and FCO Placentia. And Lee Weeks, Brittany Holzer, and James Jamie Esrich. So it's just like, this is the, because obviously everyone's had a page each kind of thing. So this, is, is, this is like the idea of the scale of this thing. Um, and it's like an extra oversized issue and there's some really great really great work in here um yeah i love this book it's a great comic um yeah i i thought you might like the like the fact leon that there's a a, a mitch gerrard's page so try to imagine if you will a mitch gerrard's and tom king batman run yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that that was really cool so i've been reading that and i've also been continuing on my uh path down sort of like it's kind of like my thing now that I'm getting interested more interested than I was before I was always been in sort of comics history and and where things started I I've always had like this this thing where I've always wanted to go back to the root of everything so I picked up this trade which is like a reprint of um, a load of old Archie horror books so like Chilling Adventures in Sorcery which is kind of where the whole Archie horror thing began because Archie have been publishing horror books since you know way back it's not it's not a it's not a recent thing and I've read like about half of this trade so far because I've just been like going through it and just enjoying it as I've been reading it basically and um the first couple of issues in there it's like it's really sort of like um how would you put it uh toned down like kind of almost kid friendly like reading a goosebumps book um, and then it starts to get darker as it goes on because I think they started they they put it onto the um, the the red circle stuff. So I think it became red circle horror, and from there, 
they started to get a little bit darker with it. But the first couple of issues are introduced by Sabrina and she's kind of like this Crypt Keeper type character narrating the stories, which is kind of cool. So yeah, that that's that's a cool book and it's it's a cool thing to sort of like read and learn about all this stuff. So that's been me for the past two weeks. Um, staying on message. Yeah, staying on the message, yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't do much else. <laughs> <laughs> Not very often anyway. Reading but, comics yeah. and sweating. Yeah, pretty much. Oh yeah, and uh, also keeping track of England's progress in the World Cup. So I've been Of course. Is it coming home, Greg? Well, I don't know, is it? You know, I've heard it is. I'd like, I'd like to, I'd like to agree with you that it's coming home, but we'll see. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm one I, of these people that doesn't. I don't want to like. I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to put all my hopes in one basket. Or anything, <laughs> you know, I don't want to. I don't want to be like that. But yeah, maybe it is coming home. Maybe. <laughs> I guess that's it for what we've been doing, and I guess we should move on to the massive list of comics that we've got in front of us. Is that right? Yeah, let's do it because um, since I've been away, it's just been a blur of life, <laughs> <laughs> and nothing really interesting to report back. Uh, I had a week off, uh, used half of it to do adult boring stuff, and then I used the other half to chill out with some friends. Um, watch some movies, uh, catching up on a few 2018 movies that I missed early in the year, but nothing incredible. Tomb Raider, <laughs> better than I expected, but not great. Uh, Pacific Rim 2, yeah, it's a film. <laughs> <laughs> I've like, not seen Pacific Rim yet, but I have seen Tomb Raider. Both have like got sort of interesting ideas in them, uh, but none of them are sort of must-see films, really. Um, like both are led by pretty good, uh, like lead actors, John Baker in Pacific Rim and Alicia Vikander in Tomb Raider. But I don't know. I mean, if if they show up on Netflix or Amazon or whatever, and you've got an evening spare, give them a check. I mean, it, it's no coincidence that I watch those quite close in proximity and then the honest trailers just lumps both of the movies together as well (laughs) they're not even that similar really thematically but uh, they're worth a watch if you've got like an evening spare or something but don't go out of your way i think i went to a morning showing of tomb raider because i have a friend that works at the cinema and he was like oh yeah i've got some tickets to tomb raider do you want to come i was like yeah because i'm a tomb raider fan i like the games yeah. yeah, there's a heavy focus on the 2012 uh, like yeah. reboot. Uh, yeah, the 2013 one. It's because I, I really like the, the 2013 game, and it takes a lot of influence from that. But in the few ways that it doesn't, is really irritating towards the end. Like I'm not going to give away the spoilers, but it's frustrating how they've changed certain characters and antagonists in that in that story. It's also one of the most video-ass game, video game <laughs> movies I've ever watched because there's this one sequence which is basically like watching like backseat gaming and it's really annoying because it's just watching her like throw around coloured gems and slot them into things and it just goes on forever. And, oh god, like, that's, can, that's can, horrible that bit. That is horrible. I can see what they were going for though because like, you know, some of these films, they're like, it's not, it doesn't harken back enough to the games and what makes them interesting and those kind of puzzles. But it just doesn't, 
I don't know, it just doesn't have that interesting Indiana Jonesy vibe. This... It just feels like watching someone play a video game yeah. and not know how to do it correctly. There's one bit in that film that I waited the entire film for. And like it's it's something that I shouldn't have had to wait the entire film for. I was disappointed that I had to wait the entire film for it. I think I, I think, know what you mean. Do you know which you know which bit I mean? I, I think I know what you mean. And because you have to wait so long for it, it feels really out of place in this movie. Yeah. yeah. And it just it uh, I just hated it for that. I was like, well, why did you make me wait the whole film for that? When when like most of the game is that. Mm. You know, that said, <laughs> and that said, Alicia Vikander plays a really good Lara. Yeah, I she think does. She suits the yeah. role really well. Yeah, but, yeah. Not but the film, film, the film was it was it was meh. Not bad, not good, just in the middle somewhere. And if you've got a spare Sunday afternoon, I guess that's what you'll be doing. <laughs> it's that kind of film. Uh, yeah, it's not as tragic as like other past. Um, yeah video game films um Hmm. so like in that sense it was better than i was expecting but yeah i I watched a film yeah (laughs) there's nothing particularly notable really uh, to like recommend or write home it's uh it's a romp what what you're saying is that you don't necessarily want those two hours or whatever back but you could have done something a bit more useful with them in hindsight. Uh, see, I, I, I don't <laughs> even look at it that way generally. It's more a case of, yeah. I think some changes, in the, even some minor changes in the script could have elevated this from okay to, oh, really good. Yeah. Um, and I find that a lot with, with some of these. Um, with the video game movies that aren't terrible, I always feel like they get, really close to to nailing that thing but um they never seem to stick the landing in that way and as has been discussed ad infinitum by like everybody and their mother movies uh video game movies that aren't based on like a, a video game ip end up being the best video game movies mm. like edge of tomorrow hardcore henry etc etc yeah so, on to the big-ass list of comics. Uh, so, the first one is one that I read, which I've been excited for for a while since finishing the Donny Cates Thanos run. And that is Cosmic Ghost Rider. So, I'm going to start this off by reading out the introduction to the book because I think it's incredibly badass and you all need to hear it. So, Frank Castle was a decorated Marine and an upstanding citizen when his family was killed in a mob hit. From that day, he was a force of retribution until he died. And then he returned as the Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance, and then became became Galactus' Herald, and then came to be the Black Right Hand of Thanos. Cosmic Ghost Rider. And then he died for real. (laughs) So (laughs) this book is basically um, a continuation of this kind of twisted timeline that we've been showing where Thanos wins. And Thanos is, like, the only thing left, basically. Like, in a sea or a bleak universe of death. And uh, it's just him and the Cosmic Ghost Rider. And that's it. There's, I mean, there's other stuff left. He hasn't quite destroyed everything, but he's made it 
very clear that he's one of, he, that Thanos has won, basically. He's beaten everyone that's challenged him. And uh, as soon as we open this book, it is just metal as all hell. Like, everything about it just screams heavy metal at me. And I love it. I love it for that. It, it opens with a visual timeline of Frank Castle's life. So it's like single panels just showing the, everything that happened to him. Everything that I've just read out, basically. Soldier, dead family, war on terror, death, hell, spirit of vengeance, madness, devourer, cosmic power, Thanos, death, and then again, death. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride. And uh, we join him in, we join Frank Castle in Valhalla. Um, where Odin has picked him from the timeline to try and save his life, basically, and brought him back uh, into Valhalla, where he he's he's been given, you know, like the reward that is given to great warriors and things like that, and he's he's just causing trouble. He's just starting fights left, right, and center. He's not down with it. He doesn't like these people. We know what Frank Castle's like, anyway. He's always been a bit rough around the edges. He doesn't he doesn't play well with others, does he? And that's where we start and that's where we go from there and the whole book is just vibrant it's energetic uh it's punctuated by bold colors and violent movement it's just it's that sweet spot that i talked about you know when i when i described the hit girl comics the um the columbia arc like hit girl one to four from the um the new hit girl run it's it's kind of got that a little bit of that about it where it's like this cartoon style that's really kinetic and works really well with what it's trying to show you and the violence and the fast movement and everything else it's just beautiful and with the bright colors as well it just looks so good and everything just like screams off the page and yeah it's just brilliant for that yeah so he, he ends up getting kicked out of valhalla because he's too much of a nuisance like Odin doesn't want him there anymore Odin's like look you can't stay here and there's this great this great part where um Odin uh is like kind of like taking him to where he keeps all like these like like a kind of like a, a where he keeps weapons and stuff like a hall of weapons and whatever and there's all this kind of like crazy nods to Jack Kirby with like these Kirby-esque lines going on and everything else and um it's like that Marvel that cosmic Marvel magic that with a heavy metal injection is the best way I can describe this comic. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these lines out because it's great. So Odin, uh, he ba- he's like, as he's leading Frank Castle down this hall, he's like, I chose to bring you to Valhalla because you are a warrior of some note and you were unjustly, I believe, slain by that infuriating hammer my son Thor holds so dear. But if you do not wish to be here, then I will not force you to stay. In fact... Your willful obstinacy reminds me of an old Midgard saying that I'm fond of. I believe it is, fuck you and the horse you rode in on. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, and that's when he's like basically giving him his cosmic power back and kicking him out. Um, and sending him into the stars. And from there, it just gets nuts. And um, I'm not going to spoil what happens or where he goes because that's that's like the kind of the hook of the comic. So I'm just going to leave it there, basically. But uh, it's shaping up to be great, and um, I just want the rest of it now. It's just so good. Yeah, Donny Cates continues to impress me. He's like the man is a force to be reckoned with, and I'm pretty sure he has the power cosmic, and also the rest of his his team here behind this comic. We've got Donny Cates as a writer. We've got Dylan Burnett, an artist. Um, Antonio Fabela is the color artist. We've got Clayton Cowles lettering. 
we've got covers by Jeff Shaw and Antonio Fabella, and uh, we've also got a variant cover with we've got variant covers which are like Mike Diodato Jr., Edgar Delgado, and Stephanie Hans. Yeah, it's just such a wild ride. I I ended up making a playlist for it actually on Spotify. Because um, while I was reading it, I was like, "Oh my god, yes, I can, I can hear th- this, these songs. I can, you know." And I, was, I just ended up putting a playlist together and putting it out there. Oh, you did what um, we talked about. Great. Yeah, so that's <laughs> that's out there. If uh, if anyone wants to check that out, um, it's j- literally just called Cosmic Ghost Rider, the playlist, um, and you'll find it on my Twitter feed. It actually picked up a little bit of steam. A lot of people, a, a few people, actually uh, have listened to it and things like that. So I think. I've, I, I quite I, obviously I like it because I made it because I put the music together but yeah it's good so <laughs> check it out so we also had an, basically an endorsement on the playlist by Antonio um, Fabela the colour artist on the book because when I put it out there he, he said that you know, he, he was telling me oh yeah this is awesome um, it's a great playlist and then he recommended it to somebody else when they asked him is there anything we should be listening to when we're reading Cosmic Ghost Rider and he went well Ace Comicals and Abato made a good one so check that out and oh, that's he, uh, awesome yeah <laughs> And he um he he's also had a track added to it by me as well because he he showed he showed me a track and I'm like yeah that's going on there so awesome yeah. check that playlist out on Spotify while you're reading Cosmic Ghost Rider something to something to read for your ride along on his cosmic space bike of shiny <laughs> blue power give us boom. give us a preview what a like a, a song or two on there a song or two off the playlist well you've got. Wasting Space and Repossession by Municipal Waste, Octopus Has No Friends by Mastodon, All Bodies by Between the Buried and Me, and there's just loads of other stuff on there. It's just just an awesome playlist that I put together for this book, so yeah, check it out. Yeah, Cosmic Ghost Rider, so number one came out uh, 4th of July, so days of comic book day passed, so that was like last week, but yeah, go check it out, it's awesome. Next on the list, I think this is something you were going to talk about, Ray. Yeah, so there's a couple of, like, uh, as senior correspondent for Ms. Marvel <laughs> at Ace <laughs> Comicals, there's a couple of Ms. Marvel-related comics uh, to talk about. So there's Marvel Rising, which is the Squirrel Girl and Ms. Marvel uh, collaboration. There's a number one of that. Um, I don't really have much to say on it, in that it, other than that it's just a really cute video game comic book crossover, and it's going to be followed by another Marvel Rising, which is going to be um ms marvel and squirrel girl so the opposite order and that's going to come out on august the first i'd recommend it it's just cute vibrant fun um it's really cool and it's also like i tried reading squirrel girl um the actual squirrel girl run and it didn't vibe with me and i think maybe i didn't give it enough of a chance it was a bit too like omg random for my taste but this has convinced me to give it another chance so i may may talk about that in the next episode and then the big one, which is the Ms. Marvel number 50, or I think it's number 31 in the new run numbering. <laughs> but this is like an, another bumper edition, like your Batman number 50. Yeah. Um, where they've got a bunch of writers and a bunch of artists and every, I think in this one, it's every like four or five pages, it shifts art style and it shifts writer. Um, so this has writing by G. Willow Wilson, as normal, uh, Saladin Ahmed, Rainbow Rowell, and the one that I was the most uh, excited to see was Hassan Minaj who is, I think I mentioned in the last episode that uh, I'm a big fan of his stand-up. I'm a big fan of, you know, his, um, his correspondent uh, speech that he gave. He was, um, I think Leon might be able to help me with this. He was a correspondent on which show? Um, one of the... He's on The Daily Show. He's on The Daily Show. Correspondents. Right. And he's really good on that as well. Um, so I was excited to see his section of this comic. 
um, which I think is his debut comic uh, comic writing um, gig. And then for art, we've got Nico Leon, uh, Gustavo Duarte, Bob Quinn, Elmo Bondock, um, colors by Ian Herring and lettering by Joe Caramagna. And I just, I love, I love how immediately Desi this story is. Like Kamala's throwing a sleepover and her mum is wondering how to explain a house full of teenage girls to a guest she's expecting. But she's also trying to keep her promise of making like Jota Samosa for them, which is like, think of samosas, but bite size. And I think that's the truest expression of love I've ever seen between a mother and a daughter in a comic book, because samosas themselves are really hard to make. So imagine making like a samosa that's one quarter of the size and having to do four times the work. I just think that expresses just how much her mum loves her. It's so Indian. I love it. Um, and it, I mean, there's a lot happening in this comic. And of course, like the Batman one, it requires, I think it requires a lot of back catalogue reading, which would be kind of pointless to cover here. But basically the story finds uh, fun and silly ways to cram in a bunch of little side stories while um, while Kamala's trying to throw this sleepover where all her friends keep waiting for her to, you know, why she dives in and out of the house. Um, each one has their own tone and art style, and it's all crammed into this uh, this one evening where Kamala just wants to enjoy spending time with her friends, but keeps getting distracted by her Ms. Marvel responsibilities. And all of this culminates in a really sweet moment, um, which I think has really nice parallels, which are appropriate to this comic being released during Pride Month. Um, you know, themes about identity and being true to yourself and friendship. And it gives me a lot of hope that this story is going to keep living up to the ideals that I've always loved about it since day dot. Um, oh, also, Miles Morales thirsting over Kamala Khan. More of that, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. Uh, it's more of the same, but in, in a really good way. Uh, if you like Ms. Marvel, I'd recommend picking that up. Or even just this latest this latest volume, which I think is volume number nine, which will be coming out in a few months. I'll, have to, I'll make sure that's in the show notes, but it's probably a good place to start. I remember you were telling me about like how excited you were about this when you were when you you picked it up and then you were putting all this stuff about miles and ms marvel <laughs> uh, and i and i was like you found it you found the bubblegum flavored center of comic books <laughs> i think i found that bubblegum flavor or I, I started chewing on the bubblegum when i picked up ms marvel and it's only grown and grown since then yeah and this this is just perfection for this me. is your I, batman I, this is your. yeah batman. i think <laughs> i think it is yeah in some ways yeah. And I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Batman. I like the whole dark brooding themes that Batman gives out. I've always loved that. I think Batman was the first comic I ever really, truly like wanted to dive into and pick apart the story. But this is just, it's like it's Indian flavored and it's happy. And that really, it really works yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's a good comic, Ms. Marvel. Mm. Should read more of it than I have. I really should. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of time. <laughs> yeah. Next up is Leon with something he's been picking up. Yeah, um, I remember back in March or so, uh, one of you guys had this on your pull list, um, and that is Prism Stalker from Image. And I remember hearing the title and seeing the cover and thinking, okay, this this could be interesting, but uh, put it on a list and then never getting around to it. So when I was looking for comics to read for this episode, I uh, I'd come across somebody on Twitter, I can't remember who it is, uh, just begging this up again. I was like, oh, yeah, that comic book. So um, I dove into issue one, and, um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. I mean, I'll, I'll first off um, give the the blurb that on the, from the image site because uh, it, <laughs> it's quite lofty, but um, it... I think it does a good job of helping you visualize 
what what's in these pages. So it goes, Prism Stalker, uh, for fans of Octavia Butler, Sailor Moon, and the biopunk horror of David Cronenberg comes Prism Stalker, an ongoing sci-fi adventure series by Sloan Leon. Vep, or Veep, I'm going to say Vep, is a young refugee raised away um, from her devastated home planet as an indentured citizen in a foreign colony. She works tirelessly for her insectoid hosts, but there is no exit in sight in this viscous, dripping city nest. The eye of opportunity is closing. Her duty to her family and her siblings... Uh, sorry, her duty is to her family and her siblings, but what more can she do for them here? The answer appears faster than she is ready for. <laughs> this rings a bell. I think this is one that I had on my pull list because uh, I remember seeing Octavia Butler, Sailor Moon and David Cronenberg and that sounds like an amazing mix. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's semi-ridiculous. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like when you buy like a box of cereal, like, I don't know, we'll say, um, say say you buy uh, Crunchy Nut Corn Flakes and then you also go and buy Cinnamon Grahams and you put them <laughs> in a bowl and then you buy Banana Milkshake. And you, you use you eat it with banana milkshake while watching Voltron on Netflix. <laughs> Where, where's, where's the Cronenberg in that? Not, some, not, like... not that not that I've not that I've you know ever done that before or anything. Not talking from life experience, but it sounds disgusting, <laughs> but it tastes amazing. <laughs> it's, so it sounds like something that shouldn't work at all, but it's actually really good. <laughs> Cronenberg is the bowl and the spoon. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> right. Well, yeah, you get prism... you... Three things that you should never mix together, but then when you mix them together, they taste good, is what I'm getting at. More than the sum of its parts, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) I I don't know if they necessarily... I don't think there's anything bad tasting in that equation there. Mm, Definitely. (laughs) I just just can't imagine Sailor Moon and Cronenberg ever mixing well. I want to see that. (laughs) I'm I'm glad you reminded me of this. I'm going to go read it. I want to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah. I I think the Sailor Moon aspect of it is overhyped in images blurb but anyway (laughs) um so uh, it's uh written uh illustrated by uh colored by and created by sloan leon who um also does uh i've noticed also just some um comic criticism as well which is uh, i've read some and it's uh very interesting like gets to the heart of um like a lot of the meaning of, of a lot of the things that she uh that she's like uh delved into but anyway that so they use the term biopunk and i think that is perfect um because this is it's a world where everything is sort of they're on an asteroid um following what i said from the blurb on like uh, being moved away from their planet and the way the book opens, you've got a voiceover um, talking about history and the past and feelings and identity and family and all that and religion. And all the visuals are like you're inside a living organism. There's lots of like polyps and just different glands and, and things and eggs uh, in this sort of nightmarish dreamscape <laughs> that, uh, like, it feels like everything around them is sort of living. They, like, they sleep in these, uh, 
sort of, uh, not even flowers, but these like sort of spore beds uh, and there's seeds everywhere. It, it, <laughs> so like this, this is a whole new world and um, like a whole new universe. And there's a lot of world building in here that is done quite efficiently. Um, and I, I think that uh, Leong's strength here is focusing more on Zep's uh, sort of internal relation to the sort the horrible situation that she's in because she's essentially essentially her and her people are essentially trapped and separated and basic basically slaves being told that they can't go back to their home planet because it's uh, poisoned and it manages to illuminate the feelings of what it's like to sort of be, to be someone without a a true home, whose home is lost. And with with that, some of the identity and uh, like losing, having no interaction with like the language of the elders and, Having no, having no connection with the old religion and all of these things, and, and instead constantly wondering what's on the outside and, and if there's more more to all this. So I, I think it's really effective in that. Like um, the the way the pages are constructed, the the colors sort of bleed out of the panel. Uh, in, so you never you never get white gutters. Instead, you get ambient colour. You remember the, the TV is the Philips Ambilight. And yeah. if you're watching something, yeah. I mean, you can get stuff like that now with LEDs that you plug in and it takes a signal from the HDMI. But it'll, it will display behind and on the sides of your TV the dominant colour in the image. And this does that, but instead of being like block colours, it's this intricately patterned, and a canvas of a lot of the key colors from each page. Uh, and it, it's so effective because it, you wear in this whole new world. This isn't like, well, that we know yet. Oh, this is 10,000 years in the future of earth or whatever. Like this is like star Wars. This is a different galaxy. This is completely divorced from us. So there's a lot of opportunity to get lost in all the, all the proper nouns. And after a while, hearing about the this and the that like you can sort of get divorced because it's like high fantasy high sci-fi that if that's not your shit you're gonna have a a wall up but i think this effectively hands you these things but doesn't dwell on them too much you don't get a big history dump of like ten thousand years ago instead you get the sort of fractured displaced memories of of zep um and what she remembers and it's the way it's written is this lazy comparison but shakespearean but not not really in in form but more in 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 structure or more what our generation slightly divorced from all that takes from from when you when you hear someone say shakespearean where it's a, a like descriptive and uh, writing to the root of the emotion instead of the instead of like 
what pragmatically is happening. It's hard to explain, but it's done quite well, but in a way that immediately finishing the first episode, maybe I should read that again. (laughs) Because I've absorbed like what I feel I've needed to absorb, but it feels like there's stuff in there that uh, you're not always going to get on the first read. So I, I do like how that's done. And I think the the panel layouts as well are, are handled uh, in a very, um, very efficient way in terms of moving the story along uh, and the passage of time. But I don't know, like, it's dynamic in a way because of because the gutters are filled with color. It always sort of feels like the the boxes are in some instances. It feels like the the, the frames, the boxes are like inserts in another panel. If you know what I mean. Yeah. So it, uh, it it has this cool feeling of like the main panel is the establishing shot, um, and then the and then each panel inside it is like a close up giving us. Hmm. more detail um and and uh and just honing in more on a particular uh, action or or movement or expression so that we um get more inside zepp's head Hmm. and i I think i I think it's so good um there's just a lot of it's a very like nice looking like art style and book and um they do like lots of cool things with body markings and just general the 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 color palette itself. You you have that image fusion that you know I love and always bang on about. But I, I feel like the spectrum is, is wider, and instead of being this sort of grungy sort of I mean, some some you can get with like biomechanical, it's all gloopy and just dull. And yeah. uh, and in this, it's not. It's vibrant. It's otherworldly, and I know it it it, it bleeds together in, in in quite 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 a cool way. What you were saying about panels inside panels, colourful gutters and things like that—that's um, something that I've seen before, loads of times, and it works really well to convey action. It's something we've had in Ice Cream Man, yeah, uh, where it's like panels laid over an establishing panel almost. Um, mm. It's something that uh, is also in Ghost Rider, actually. <laughs> um, uh, to, to bring that up, is there's a um, a couple of panels where the background of the panels it is like this spacescape, and you've got panels laid over that kind of thing, which is quite cool. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, it's definitely much in in that vein and and used uh, effectively um, with that. Yeah, so, I mean, well, I'll, I'll just say it's definitely, yeah. definitely check out issue one, give it a go. It might be heavy, but I don't know. I think I think it's 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 worth to dive in, and I can see what the image blurb is saying when they like invoke like the legendary Octavia Butler with that. I, I'm I'm understanding what they're getting at with that, and it's. Um, I mean, stories like this are always going to be like poignant if we like cut through the root of the themes. Um, and I think that the timing of this book definitely fits the general, especially in the West, the political zeitgeist in terms of refugees and um, 
sin, sins of the past and mistreatment and particularly recently, like separating uh, youth uh, and, and elders. So mm. it, it's definitely, um, there's definitely meat on the bone that I'm looking forward to diving in. And then, I mean, issue one came out in March. So I think there's five or six issues out. So I'm going to try and catch up and, and see what's going on. Uh, I will just add as well. Um, they, uh, this, I think we were seeing this more and more with comics, but th- this comic has a really cool um, uh, website. I believe it's designed by uh, a Stephen Lovell. And um, the website is cool. It has like an animated trailer on there for the first issue. And it's like proper animated, not like in a... Um... Not just an emotion comics way. Yeah, not an emotion comic sense, yeah. but instead it's actually animated and it's so cool, like the music and everything. It, it reminds me of um, the 90s MTV cartoons, like Aeon Flux mm-hmm. and the the cartoon adaptation of the Max and stuff like that. Like it just has this... Co- I was instantly transported to uh, the 90s and being a kid uh, what trying to find these things on like <laughs> late on Bravo or something uh, and it, it's so cool like um, each issue has like um, a song on the site which is usually about three to four minutes long and it, I think it sort of goes for the mood uh, they're done by a SoundCloud user uh, Neo Tenomi um, and dude they fucking slap like each of these beats are amazing like I'm, I was just like getting down uh uh <laughs> they're so good like they're like industrial electronica um and that's at times you get they kind of you get some shades of like and those people like crystal castles or something but mm-hmm. the sound is like larger and, and uh like when i say industrial like that proper like grit and grind um but like they they got great beats and it, they, yeah they they just they fucking go like uh, I, de- I would definitely recommend that like I, I listened to uh, way beyond the issues that I read of, of just what the themes were because it's so good and it's something that um, I hope more and more comics um, more and more comics do because it's such a cool idea and um, the only only downside of this whole sort of multimedia thing is that. Man, I want that cartoon now. <laughs> it looks so good, that trailer. But um, it does transport to the page. And when you're reading it on the page, you do feel those themes um, coming through. Like you sort of start playing it in your head, which often happens with me. But um, yeah, I def- I, I'll definitely recommend uh, Prism Stalker. Nice. Yeah, I remember I because I haven't seen the rest of it. I haven't. Uh, I didn't realize there was a, such a cool website as you described. But I remember seeing the the first. Um, the first animation on Sloan Long's YouTube page, which we can give a link to. And that really caught my eye. I can, I know exactly what you mean about being transported back to the nineties and that it's just, it's amazing. Um, and like, yeah, real Aeon Flux vibes. I, I, yeah, I'd really recommend that. Have a look at that. Mm. I'll have to go back and check all of that out. Cause that sounds awesome. But I think you'd dig it. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to go back and check it all out. Um, so now we're moving on to books that we all read. Um, and I think the first one of those is a book called Submerged. You want to take it away, Ray? Yeah, sure, can do. Um, so Submerged, uh, written by Vita Ayala, illustrated by Lisa Stirl, colorist Stelladia, letters by Rachel Deering. It's a Vault Comics book, and it's essentially, or as it's described in a Vault Comic um, tweet that I saw a while back, it's a retelling of the Orpheus and Eurydice myth set in the NYC, sorry, New York City subway. 
um, inspired by the writer uh, Vita Ayala's experience of Hurricane Sandy. Um, so having read it, I don't think it's it's a direct retelling. It's more an interpretation with other modernized Greek myths woven in. Um, and in this story, it seems like our hero, Alicia, uh, is the Orpheus character who has to travel into the underworld to rescue her younger brother, Angel. Um, we get scenes of Alicia's strained relationship with Angel as they grow up and the pressure put upon both of them, uh, oh, sorry, put, put upon her by both her parents to take care of him and like the imbalanced values with their boys will be boys attitude towards him getting into fights or him blaming Alicia for letting him, for letting him get drunk enough to crash his car, you know, all that kind of... Uh, boyish hypocrisy and we see all this in flashbacks and then in the present day we're shown how Alicia has distanced herself from her family because of all this and what sets everything into motion is a voicemail she gets from her brother saying he's in trouble and needs her help and she ends up following a pretty tenuous trail uh, down to the cordoned off subway entrance where she encounters three mysterious men and a dog whose shadow has three heads and they grill her on her quest to save her brother uh, where she claims, it's my job to protect him. Um, there they give her these three tokens to get past the ancient subway barrier. Uh, one to enter, one to pay the ferryman, and one for when it's all done. And what follows is her descent into this modern representation of hell or the underworld. Um, I think, the thing with this, I think there's a lot that I'm only half understanding because I have a limited knowledge of Greek stories. Because um, there's a few antagonistic encounters which I think... They only have weight if you know who they're supposed to be. And so for me, as, as someone who doesn't have this assumed knowledge, they fall a little flat. And I think it's tricky because you don't want to dumb down your stories, but I think there's a way to effectively express what these characters mean to the character, to, you know, to our protagonist without having to spell it out. And I think um, one that you read and... Um, you know, recommended in the past is 2017 Image Comics Kill the Minotaur. I think that did that really well. Like, you don't have to know who everybody is from the historical text or from the classical text to understand what it means in the context of the comic. And so as it stands with Submerged, I don't think the comic always expresses these things in isolation within itself. And so I'm doing a bunch of Googling to see, you know, what's lining up. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just takes a bit of effort mm. on my part. And that's Sometimes I don't like that because I want the book to be self-contained, but in this instance, there's a lot going for it, which I do like and is driving me to find those answers for myself. Uh, go ahead. You, I was going to say, so I, when I was a kid, I was big into Greek myths. Um, mm. I had like a, a, a book like that had like sort of kind of like child-friendly versions of Greek myths in it. And the Orpheus story was something I picked up on, like without even knowing that tweet existed or anything like that. I just, as soon as I opened the book, I was like, this is Orpheus. Especially when she gets down to the the barriers and you see the three headed dog, I'm like, oh, Greek myths. Well, Wait, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's Cerberus. Yes. And then she gets the uh, the coins to pay the ferryman, and then Sharon turns up driving the train um, when she's off to save ah, her brother right. Angel, and it's all like, yeah, yeah, because it's the coins of Sh Sharon, right? Um, yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's, 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 I think only one of them's for him. Right, exactly. And yeah. he only he only explicitly takes one because he says yeah. only one of them is for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's cool. I think for anybody who loves Greek myths or anybody who's interested in seeking out these Greek myths in hindsight um, or retrospect will really dig this. I mean, the comic does this this weird subtle displacement thing where the specific details of what's happening don't quite mesh together, but you might not really notice on the first pass depending on how hard you're looking. So like, as an example, she's listening to voicemails from her mum asking her to come home and visit because, you know, she hasn't seen her for so long because she's 
you know, she's trying to distance herself away from um, slightly, I don't know, bad family feelings. I think there's a better word for that. I can't think of it now. Um, and then what follows after the message from her mum is a saved message from her brother asking her for her, for her help. Um, and then she hears an ambulance in the voicemail, which she then hears outside of her apartment. And it's interesting because it, it hints to this being a journey of redemption for herself over something that happened some time ago. And we're not quite sure of the time frame between her brother asking for help and what's happening in what we're seeing. But I'm assuming that's all going to tie in together at some point. It's just interesting that it doesn't, it's not on the nose. It's all hmm. slightly hidden in the background. Um, yeah. I mean, then again, she's also seen smoking weed before being dragged into this adventure. And we get a very brief hint that this is all occurring on Halloween. So who knows what's really going on? I mean, that's that's a good enough hook for me on its own. Um, <laughs> I get yeah. I- I get the idea um the way you've just you, what you've just put together there just it's like like it's kind of got like a bit of a christmas carol about it but not sort of thing. Yeah, possibly um, but, or just some but, sort of like yeah. retrospective uh yeah. um redemption arc I but think I, which is cool. I, yeah, I I I you know like the the whole like um Hades thing or whatever and and the sub like sub uh, hell as a subway kind of thing or Hades mm. as a subway should be. It's just it's just so cool like to kind of like that that whole idea is like for me i thought that was quite genius um and it reminds me of a episode of the real ghostbusters that i used to really love called knock knock where they uncover a door in as they're drilling a new subway tunnel and behind this door is contained everything that is supposed to replace the world once doomsday has taken place that and sounds the, amazing yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome right um but yeah, it's um, it's it's great. Uh, this 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 comic was was great. I, I, you know, reading the first issue, I loved it, and I love the fact that it doesn't tell you everything because obviously things are going to get revealed during her journey through hell because mm. hell's or Hades, should I say? Because it's not a nice place, and it's going to show you things you don't like about yourself. <laughs> so that's, I think it's going to show her painful memories and things like that, and that's when we're going to get to piece everything together. Yeah, and that mystery does a good job of like making its own mythology in a way. Mm. um like making that making that mystery sell itself and keeping you going and like elevating it above just the normalcy of the world i i think that that does work quite well and i think the art really sells it because i i really like um the art by lisa stell and stelladia there's there's a lot of work being done by by the line art by basically everything's done in both black and white edge lines which sort of bleed into each other and then they're all filled with this really lovely speckled paint and it has this strange ethereal quality where like half the world feels like it's been sponged onto the canvas mm. almost. Um, and I really like the, the style that the characters are drawn in because they're quite simple and bold and almost manga-esque in places, especially in the, the, the childhood flashback scenes, which, I mean, this this mixing of um, the two art styles, like the foreground and the background, c- can run the risk of looking out of place in these kind of moody or dingy, heavily textured worlds. But in this case, it really works and everything fits together really, really well. And if I had to pick out one thing that I love about the art in this book, it's it's Alicia's jacket. Because um, like it shimmers yeah. like it's being dappled by starlight or or by, it's being hit by uh, by a storm rain, even when she's in shelter. It's, it's really cool. Yeah, it looks like chalk. Mm, it's kind yeah. of like, like, like you say, like, like paint sponged on or chalk. It's got that kind of quality about it. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a really awesome story um so far and i want more of it definitely want more of it i want more of this journey through uh 
through Hades, and and I like that Cerberus is kind of serving as a guide. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. Like, yeah, takes them along with her. Yeah, and yeah, he um, there's some there's some uh, some really cool moments in this, definitely. I'm just I'm yeah. just looking back through it now. So yeah, yeah. And I'll just add to what you guys say. I, I agree with a lot of it. I think um, there's some cool stuff in here. I think just beginning with the uh, the Jan Bartle cover is awesome. Mm. I love the look uh, and the the way colors used uh, it, I, and like sort of the submerged uh, like literal look and like subway um, just filled with water and you've got those. Um, those bugs that I can't remember what they're called. Uh, the centipede. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that motif is really cool. I think um, there's just some like nice little touches in here. Like um, <laughs> when um, she tries to hand the, uh, the, the judge type characters money and they're like, put away that full, put that, put the false profit away, girl. <laughs> yeah. 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 I like the the use of the shadows displaying true form. I always find that cliche to be um, effective and, and awesome. Um, I like the sprinkling in of Spanish uh, with the English dialogue between her and her family. Um, yeah. I, I love stuff like that. Um, and I just like that it's like Latinx characters at the heart of this like fantasy story in New York City. So um, I like how they're designed and rendered um, and fairly fully dimensional in a cool way. Um, and yeah, it was, it was funny reading, like just picking up all these different uh, references and hints from uh, like Greek mythology and beyond. And like, say like Orpheus and uh, Eurydice and Persephone and Hades and all that. Like it's, it's layered in there in, yeah. in an, in a quite a, a cool non sort of pandery way. Like I like how it, it, it it's the function of it is suiting the store, this story and these characters. And just for those few flashbacks, you, you get a real sense of the family dynamic and sort of the underlying toxicity there. And the, the imbalanced sort of gender roles um, that I know that them themselves are obviously unfair, but also a a life of those growing up can just mess you you up. And in ways that we see on the character where like she places a lot of weight on herself and feels guilty um, and separate uh, distance herself from the family for that. And I, I think a lot of that is added in pretty well. Cause a lot of times with comics like this, especially in issue one, there is a time where some of the dialogue just doesn't ring true because they're trying to get us up to speed really quick. And I s- sometimes get the whiplash of that. And I'm like, uh, I don't know, like that, I don't know, that feels like it could have been smoother. And I, I feel like, uh, Vita uh, Ayala like really nails that with with these characters. So um, I'm looking forward to checking out more. Yeah, the family dynamic comes across really well. I think toxicity is the word I was looking for, like needing to escape from it, but also having that um, responsibility, like being embedded into you from from childhood. 
and that guilt that she displays like i i need to go back and fix this i should have defended him i should have uh, i should have looked after him even though he's doing everything he can to to make himself a burden in some ways that comes across really effectively the one thing uh, one thing i will say the title submerged and the cover of her you know in this uh, this flooded new york city subway i want to see more of that because i don't know if i've talked about this in the past on the cast that one of my biggest fears is is water and drowning despite being a very good swimmer and i want that i want to see how they get that across on the page and there's not much of it yet but i'm looking forward to that yeah, that'll be cool when it because it's it's obviously going to get flooded at some point. Maybe it's yeah, assuming it's not just a metaphor, <laughs> yeah. Which I hope not. I want to see it done for real. So yeah, and it just yeah, it's just everything about this comic just screams cool. Um, there's some Shakespeare lines in here as well, actually, that I picked up on. I was just going to oh, yeah. mention very briefly. Yeah, um, if there were a sympathy in choice, war, death, or sickness did lay siege to it. That's a Shakespeare, hmm. but I, I'm not. 100% sure on what which one it's from. Um it I think it's a Midsummer Night's Dream, but don't hold me to that. <laughs> but yeah. <clears throat> There's a it's it's cool how they use all of this stuff and like when she's presented with the two doors and and the woman in front of her is basically talking in riddles. No, yeah, I I, I like this book and I'm glad you recommended it recommended it to me and told me to read it, Ray, cuz it's really good. <laughs> yeah, I figured you guys would like it. Yeah. So on from there, we move on to Multiple Man number one. So how do I talk about this book? <laughs> it's, uh, well, uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read out the blurb. I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. This is a, a Pavlova delicious mess of a comic, I think. Yes, yes. It's delicious. It's full of sugar. It's great. <laughs> I'm going to read out this, uh, this, this confusing blurb. So a handful of people's favorite X-Men... Jamie Madrox was alive for a while, then he was dead. Now he's not, but he will be again if he doesn't kill himself, trying to make sure he doesn't die. It makes sense when you read it. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, it does not. <laughs> Trust us. In his fight to not die, Jamie has stumbled across a threat even greater than his own death, but fixing it might make it worse. Can he save the world from himself? On top of all that, the X-Men are mad at him now. And a mysterious new group of foes is after him too. We can't tell you who they are, but they're pretty great. So, the whole deal with Multiple Man is that when he experiences some kind of trauma, like physical trauma, he can duplicate himself. And then that person can go off, that other Jamie can go off and live a life and come back. And then Jamie Prime can absorb other Jamie's experiences and memories and skills by reabsorbing his duplicates. And we start with the fact that he is supposedly dead and uh, the other X-Men find him or possibly another Jamie, like a duplicate Jamie. Not It's not the prime Jamie, I don't think. And they bring him back to the mansion because he's ill and they're trying to make him better. And they, they sort of like get him back to a point where he's awake and he's okay and he's eating and stuff. But something strange is going on in the background with Jamie. Like he knows that he basically he knows he's going to die eventually anyway because he's dying he's got some kind of like disease or degenerative disorder that we don't really know quite what it is yet and there is a way to cure it that beast is working on but he comes back in time to stop himself from being cured 
or goes forward in time to stop himself from being cured and then versions of him come back in time because if he if if he lives bad things happen and this is where it starts to turn into tangled knotted shoelaces because <laughs> this is this is <laughs> this is where I'm I'm you know I'm enjoying it I'm just letting it all wash over me and I'm not going to think too hard about it until I've read issue two because it's a brilliant, brilliant book and it's fun and the artwork's bouncy and some really great action sequences in it and everything else and some really cool moments in it and so, you know it's it's got like this really nice comedy edge to it. It's bright, vibrant colours. It's nice and easy to read as a you know as something that it's not too heavy or anything is what I'm getting at. It's not overly laden with it's not it it's something that after you've read something like submerged you could pick this up and read it and it would kind of like if if you're like me and and reading something like submerged and you would think hard about it it might put you in a little bit of a funk sometimes you could read something like this and just pull yourself back out i guess um it's it's that it's it's a really good, really well put together celebration of the character that is Multiple Man, I think. Because being Multiple Man must be confusing. And I think this book is trying to give us some idea of what it is like to be Multiple Man. Like what it's like to have to deal with this. <laughs> I think it's more about what it's like to deal with it from the outside. All the people yeah. who who have like an investment yeah. in him or have a friendship with him or just have to deal with his bullshit. Yeah. Like there's a lot of that going on. Like this is why nobody likes you because yeah. you bring, you bring this mess into our lives constantly. Yeah. Cause you are, you are bullshit. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not bullshit. He's cool. But yeah, no, he's, um, it's, it's, it's a really cool book. And I, I think very highly of this one. I quite like it. And I, I as much as I was, still in the dark by the end of issue one um and as much as there are still parts of the puzzle missing i really enjoyed it and i wasn't at all irritated by how confusing it was or anything in fact i i thought that added to the comedy Hmm. um i don't know about you ray what do you think yeah i think it's deliberately a mess in this instance i think they know what they're doing with it and it's it's frustrating because like I'm annoyed, but only because I want to know what happens now. Like, I don't want to be teased throughout all this this nonsense. <laughs> I know it's not going to pay off in, like, in this neat wrapped up way that I that I sometimes hope for with like puzzle box TV shows. For you know, um, I get the feeling it's going to be hand waved away or it's just going to be comic book explained. But they're doing it deliberately in the first issue because like there's no way to fix it. It's just a mess. I I don't know. I I'm. <laughs> I'm sold on it enough to know that I'm going to buy the next four issues because I think it's a five issue run. Yeah. And then I'll make up my mind at that point whether I liked it or not in hindsight, I think. But this current issue is cool. It's fun. I I like seeing just all the different variations and all the, the mess and how many sandwiches he steals from people. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm happy to watch it be untangled and even be handled in a comic booky way because that's what I like, it's what I enjoy. Um, and I think I get, I get the feeling that this is going to be handled quite nicely. And it's going to be untangled pretty well. And I think you probably are going to get the neat ending that you want. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I, like, I don't yeah. have any bad feelings on it, really. I'm just I'm yeah. expecting the worst. Because, so. I mean, like, to, to, if, if, it's, if it's what I expect, if it's what I think it is, if it's this, this like, intricate mountain of tunnels and mazes, which I think it's going to be by issue five, and it's actually going to bring us back to, like, some... you know it's going to be able to untangle this mess that we're given with issue one then Matthew Russenberg deserves all the praise in the world (laughs) for for writing (laughs) something like that 
and uh, Andy McDonald for being able to draw it, to be honest, because, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. it's uh, it's cool. There is a lot happening, like both mm. in the narrative and visually, just every single panel is, is just stuffed full of, uh, like, detail or like, yeah. just a web of things interacting constantly. It's... It's a it's it's a mindfuck, but in a really good way. And when I use yeah. the word mess, I think I mean it in a good way. Yeah. Like I, I mentioned like a Pavlov dessert, like where it's just everything thrown in and it's all delicious and jumbled up. Yeah. Like, yeah. I I like it. I like. It. I'm we, gonna see where it goes. Are we back to cinnamon Graham's crunching up cornflakes and banana milk no. again? No. no, not quite <laughs> the same way. <laughs> uh, let me just tell you some of my notes, Greg. Uh, yeah. While in this, the first one. Uh, ah. Dupes <laughs> and time travel? Yep. No. Greg, <laughs> what the hell is going on? <laughs> That's just a few. But like I didn't know that the run is quite it was quite short. So I'm willing to forgive a lot of it. <laughs> because I wasn't sure if this was just the beginning of another long run. I was like, nope. Nope, 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 nope. nope. Like like there's <laughs> There's a bit where I almost checked out, where I won't say who, but like I know exactly. Start appearing, yeah. and one of them has lightsaber Wolverine claws, uh, <laughs> and then another another one appears from inside a wizard, and I was just like. I don't know about this, Greg. Like, this is too, this is too Marvel. This is too Marvel. Like, <laughs> this is too much. Like, this is a head scratcher. And like, I'm one of the few people on the planet who didn't complain about Westworld season two. But like, <laughs> oh man, this is like, I was like, gosh, this this is going to be heavy. But knowing that the run is short, I'm actually uh, cool. Okay, I'm down with that because like, what happens at the end of the issue is re- is is cool and with the added context of how short this run is then i'm like okay I, i'm i'm in for this because yeah i i know that the point of it is to is to be is to be wild but dupes and time travel is savage, <laughs> it's imagine, savage. Im- imagine being the artist and getting the notes like getting, yeah. getting like I, i'm not sure what the process is like how how uh, these guys work together but imagine being the artist and being presented with the notes and, and that jamie interacts with other jamie like kind of jamie appears out of thin air and tells jamie that jamie's wrong but jamie you know it's just like <laughs> does he know all i them? know is, is the second i saw those wolverine laser claws i knew leon would have trouble with it i knew it i knew you'd have a comment about that you see the second, the second character as well. <laughs> the second I saw that, I wasn't just on board. I was like screaming out of the window of the train. I was like, "Yes!" <laughs> the funny thing is, is based on the co- again judging a book by its cover. But I thought the cover had vibes of like the the Tom King stuff that we really like. And I had a I had a feeling that maybe it was going to go down this heavy introspective, picking apart, deconstructing what it means to be multiple man kind of way. up the id and all that. Yeah, and it doesn't do that at all. <laughs> like it's, it's, just a, it's just a wild ride and it's having a lot of fun. I like it. It's, it's a roller coaster cool. and it's what you need sometimes. It doesn't always have to be deep explorations of characters. It doesn't always have to be, um, you know, picking apart what it means to be someone. Sometimes it can just be blown out comic book fun and that's what I needed when I picked this book up and that's what I got. So, yeah, I love it. So that was Multiple Man number one and the creative team on this one. We have 
Uh, Matt Rosenberg as writer. We have artist Andy McDonald. Uh, Colour artist Tamara Bonnevillain. Uh, letterer uh, is VC's Travis Lanham. Cover artist Marcus Martin. And we have variant cover artists Dave Johnson, Larry Stroman, Mark Morales and Jason Keith. So, yeah, multiple man number one. Go and pick it up because it's a wild ride and you'll love it. So, uh, that wraps up the comics for... This week's Ace Comicals, um, what have we got on our pull lists? I will kick us off with things that are coming out on the 11th of July. So that is uh, 11, 7, 18. That's the Wednesday that this is released. So we have two issues of Transformers Lost Light back to back. So that's uh, Transformers Lost Light number 20 and 21. Uh, Detective Comics 984. This is things on my pool list, by the way. Uh, Isola number four. Um, we have The Dead Hand number four, which has been a really cool spy thriller so far, and I urge you all to get on it because it's great. Elsewhere number eight. Farmhand number one, which is a new one that I checked. So Farmhand number one, um, which is a new one from Image Comics. So the the blurb on the previews website is as follows. Uh, Jedediah Jenkins is a farmer, but his cash crop isn't corn or soy. Jed grows fast-healing, plug-and-play human organs. Lose a finger? Need a new liver? He's got you covered. Unfortunately, strange produce isn't the only thing Jed's got buried, deep in the soil of the Jenkins family farm. Something dark has taken root, and it's beginning to bloom. So how does that sound? Sounds good. And it's also written by Rob Guillory, um, who is responsible for Chew, which is another one that I like. So that's the main reason I picked up on this, yep. this comic. He's the writer and the artist. Hmm. So I think it's a bit of a one-man band, this one. Um, but yeah, it's uh, Rob Gilroy, and uh, he's the Eisner-winning co-creator of, and artist of Image Comics Chew, as you mentioned. And uh, it's a dark comedy about science gone sinister and agriculture gone apocalyptic. So uh, it ends, ends with the line, nature is a mother. So there you go, farmhand number one. So that might be quite an interesting one to look in on from Image. Uh, we've also got Aliens Dust to Dust number two, which was the continuation of the alien story of the uh, the mother and child trying to escape the doomed colony, being chased by an alien. Uh, Jughead the Hunger number seven, Relay number one, which I've talked about previously when I talked about Relay Zero, um, which was the free comic book day one. So... Relay number one. Relay is in many ways a tribute to the science fiction worlds that inspired me as I was growing up. So this is the writer talking here. Uh, the best thing I can compare, can compare it to is Paul Verhoeven's Total Recall. There's a brain to this book beneath the action and the, world's, the world we've created that mirrors our own. It's something that evokes a lot of our modern fears about society, leadership and control and puts them in a really colourful, detailed world. Anyone who saw Blade Runner 2049 is going to be right at home with Relay. People should definitely throw it on their pull list because it's unlike any other science fiction book out there. I promise you we're dealing with some insane shit and that by the end of every issue you'll have no idea where we're headed next. So, um... I assume that is um, the writer of the book giving us that one. Um, and that would be, um, well, that would be, there's three writers, so that could be either Zach Thompson, Donny Cates, or Eric Broomberg. That quote isn't actually attributed when I read it out, which is kind of irritating. So it could be one of those three guys. But uh, Relay's a great book, because um, uh, if you go back a couple episodes, we uh, reviewed Issue Zero, which kind of served as a preview and a an opener into this this crazy world that we're dealing with here. So that's a good one to take a look in on. And that is published on Aftershock Comics. Um, 
And we've also got uh, the continuation of MechCadetU in MechCadetU number 10. Uh, Ray, where are we with you? Uh, you've stolen all of mine, so I have nothing to add for the 11th. Uh, mine were going to be Farmhand and MechCadetU number 10. Yes. Um, so, yeah, double endorsement for those. Uh, so moving on to the 18th. I've got uh, Kick-Ass number six, which is a continuation of the new Kick-Ass run. Ice Cream Man's back with Ice Cream Man number five, and I believe this one's called Ballad of a Falling Man. Mm, cool. Um, so sounds interesting, and uh, yeah, we've been we've been loving Ice Cream Man on this podcast, or at least at least I have. Um, I think I think you guys have been enjoying it as well, haven't you? Yeah, I think we're in in consensus for that. Yeah. So this one will be uh, Ice Cream Man number five, Ballad of a Falling Man. And uh, the blurb for this one is the feel bad series of the year continues. Here's a story that lasts a hundred stories. So that one's going to be quite a nice, interesting read. Um, we've got analog number four, which is again kind of a spy thrillery one about where you know in in a world where everything is public knowledge, how do you keep things private? Versus number five, Archie meets Batman sixty six number one. <laughs> Which is uh, something that I've got on my list because Batman 1966, Archie. Where where can you go wrong with that? Where can that go wrong? And I think this is something where um, a, a few months back, this is where um, Leon's famous like line about Riverdale in general, which I believe I'm going to start using as a, a like a quote when we mention Riverdale or talk about Riverdale, is going to become like our podcasts description of Riverdale is is Riverdale a hellmouth <laughs> Leon Everett 2018 <laughs> <laughs> but yeah Archie meets Batman 66 so that'll be quite a cool one to read Infinity Countdown number five which is the continuation of the big Marvel Infinity event that's happening um something to do with a film that got released maybe I don't know uh we've got Peter Parker that's Spectacular Spider-Man 307 Old Man Hawkeye number seven Batman number 51 and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Universe number 24 uh, Ray, where were you for the 18th? Right, I've only got a few. Um, I've got The Life of Captain Marvel, um, which is basically about Carol. Carol finds herself relieving memories of a life she thought was far behind her. You can't outrun where you're from, and sometimes you have to go home again. Um, it's being labelled as the definitive origin of Captain Marvel, so I think that would be a good place to start for a um, a character I've not, I don't really know much about. Uh, so I'm interested in that. And then there's Dismantlers, which is a Black Mask Studios comic. Um, I'll give you the brief blurb from the website. It's uh, in a galaxy where terraforming is the most common form of real estate development. A highly skilled team of dismantlers travels to failed sites and salvages what's left of them. But that's not the hardest part of the job because relationships with each other can be even more complicated than transforming entire planets. Seems cool. Um, Again, judging a book by its cover. And then the final one, um, which I'm only picking up because... Like, I normally wouldn't read this, which is a Marvel superhero adventure comic, which is basically meant for quite young children. But it's uh, the Ms. Marvel and the Teleporting Dog number one. Um, And one, because it's got Ms. Marvel. And two, I'm just hoping it's going to make me cry after some recent developments in the Inhuman storyline. Let's see what happens with that. Yes. That's all I've got. So, uh, I mean, Leon, I know you don't usually have anything for the pool list, but are you planning to buy anything or read anything in the interim? Have you got anything on, on, on your list that's like sort of next? Like anything you want to cross off? No, no. Uh, most of my pool list um, I already have, and it's uh, past stuff that I'm catching up on. 
So in the coming episodes, I'll continue speaking about some of the older comics that I've been catching up on. Cool. Oh, I've got I've got a couple of non-comic things to bring up. Yeah, go um, ahead. Because The Incredibles 2 will be coming out in England next week or the week of the release of this episode. So that's, that's something cool. And the week after we'll have uh, Alita Battle Angel, which I'm not that familiar with the, the manga or the anime from um, that it's based on. But I know that there's been a lot of controversy around just the style and the look of it. So I'm I'm just interested in seeing how that pans out. The, the trailer was a little bit creepy. It was odd. Yes. <laughs> odd artistic decisions. It was, that. yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I see what you mean. I'd, I'd be interested in checking that out as well. So maybe next time uh, you hear my voice, I'll probably be talking about that. I, I like the big anime, by the way, so I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the minority, Leon. So that brings us to a close. So that was Ace Comicals number 39. So it's time to sign off. So you will be able to find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You'll find us on Twitter at Ace Comicals. You can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is kind of the hub for everything. You can find us to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Overcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn and Castro. You can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. You can find us on Instagram under Ace Comicals. Uh, if you are so inclined, we have a coffee or coffee. I still don't know how to say it. Um, but you can uh, donate the price of a coffee if you feel so inclined and you enjoy what you hear. Um, all proceeds go to keeping the website afloat and making sure the podcast stays up and listenable. Uh, Ray, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter retweeting lots of colourful shit at at Monke, so that's M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And Leon, where can we find you? You can find me at Leon Everett on Twitter. As always, you can get in touch with us through Twitter feeds. Um, you can, well, you can get in touch with Ace Comicals through Twitter feeds. You can come and uh, send us a DM, or you can uh, send uh, any questions um, directly to acecomicals at gmail.com, and uh, we'll answer them on the show. Uh, that has been Ace Comicals episode number 39. That's Ace Comicals over and out.